The Moss family and all of our leadership believe that safety is way more than compliance. Yes, of course, OSHA and EPA and all of the agencies are important that we comply with their regulations, but it's really a moral imperative that we send people home to their loved ones who count on them safely every day. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats. From severe weather to a global pandemic, let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where for just a few minutes of your day, we provide insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Scott Gerard. and Scott is the VP of Environmental Health and Safety at Moss Construction. Hey, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Peter. Thanks for asking, and thanks for inviting me to speak with you today. No, I'm super happy that you're here. I enjoyed our our pre-call discussion. It was very uh, informative. And our topic today is going to be about how organizations can build a stronger safety culture. But before we begin, since our listeners don't know you, can you just tell them a little bit more about your background and then your role at Moss Construction specifically? Sure. If I could tell you a little bit about the company first, I'd I'd like to do that. Moss is a 15-year-old family-owned business. We're based in Fort Lauderdale. We work in a variety of vertical markets, uh, high-rise commercial, multifamily, hospitality, education, transportation, uh, and solar. We're number 72 on the ENR top 400 list, and we're number three in solar. We're also one of the only contractors that's certified as a great place to work. And I think that's the one I'm most proud of. It's indicative of our core value of honoring relationships, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, hopefully. Yeah. We have about 800 salaried team members and about 2,000 hourly workers, 10 to 12,000 subcontractor teammates that we're responsible for on 60 to 80 projects at any one time, supported off offices in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, Dallas, Oceanside, California, and Honolulu. And as you mentioned, I'm the Vice President of Environmental Health and Safety for the company. I started my career in the fire and EMS services and have moved uh, into safety, and I've got about 20 years as a safety uh, practitioner now. Bringing it back to the safety side of things, it does add a layer of complexity for safety planning and procedures when you talk about being right on the beach. So how does the organization prepare for natural disasters like hurricanes and flooding and things like that? Well, our roots are in Florida, uh, and when I started, it was the year that Wilma hit uh, South Florida. It was the, now the second busiest uh, tropical storm hurricane season ever on record. So we've always kind of had a robust tropical storm and hurricane program, uh, but as we've expanded our geography and our market segments, we've had to modify that response plan accordingly. I think one of the things that really helps us be successful with that is we work really closely with our operational team members Uh, who have to execute that plan and tailoring it to the unique project needs uh, and exposures. Uh, We work really closely with them, especially on the initial stages of response to keep it as simple as possible so that they can take care of the immediate. And and that gives us time then to activate or deploy our safety professionals to help them through the more nuanced portions of the plan as the emergency is unfolding. Just as a quick, for instance, Peter, our, our published COVID plan I'm sure everyone has a COVID plan right now. Yeah. Uh, for our job sites, it's only three steps. 
That's all that we ask the team on the job site to remember is three initial steps for isolation, containment, and communication. From there, we give them the additional guidance that they need uh, from my team. I have a team of about 60 safety professionals, and our telemedical provider job site care takes over. So it's interesting you mentioned communication. What best practices have you gathered when it comes to communicating with your employees in times of crisis? And is there anything notable you think companies should not do in these situations? Well, I'm glad you asked because I think communications is probably the most important uh, component of the framework of your emergency plan. And quite frankly, it's what's made us successful. Uh, All of our team members have access to a 24-7 safety hotline that's answered by my safety leadership team uh, for pushing information into us. And then from there, we leverage the alert media platform uh, to share the appropriate information or the next steps that should be taken to manage and respond to that emergency. Uh, We send that to the right people at the right time so that we're not overwhelming them or, or they're trying to go back to their training that may have been six months or a year ago or even longer, right. or, or they're trying to reference a, a really thick manual on, on what do I do in this situation. It's kind of a twist on lean or just-in-time manufacturing. I spent a number of years working for Toyota in the manufacturing facilities, yep. and, and we kind of took that model of lean and, and have tweaked it into our emergency response plan. So we give just the right information at just the right time to just the right people. Well. I know when we talked earlier, you actually shared a story with us about how you used, I mean, frankly, it was the alert media communication platform in a particular emergency. Could you, even if you don't reference the product specifically, just share with the audience how that was helpful and what you did? Um, We had a hurricane coming down on on the uh, island of Oahu. I had a couple hundred workers out there at the time, both on solar projects and building projects. And, you know, they're building Standards and codes aren't quite up to standard that they might be in South Florida, where we experience hurricanes all the time. Right. Uh, so we were sending them snippets of information as the storm was approaching the islands uh, and, and helping them prepare and making sure that their personal preparations were in order, because that's, that's frankly, that's, that's more important to us than the preparing the job site. Uh, and just as we were getting ready to make our last communication of the day, prior to the storm hitting, we sent out an alert, a two-way alert to ask, are you prepared? Are you ready? Do you need anything? Basically, are you hunkered down and and ready to weather out the storm? We sent out a two-way page, and I had three team members reach out and say, I'm questioning my preparation. I don't think I'm in a safe location. I need some help. But we were able to find their supervisors right away And we got them out of their house and into one of the high-rise hotel buildings where we had booked a block of rooms. And we were able to take care of that team member and his family that paid for every bit of effort we ever put into emergency communications, in my mind, in that one moment in time. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a a fantastic story. And it's a perfect example that it's not a system you're going to use every day, all day, all the time. But when you do use it, like you said, it can be, I mean, just have an immense impact and payback for the entire investment in both money and time. So that's great. And it sounds like as an organization, you guys really embrace employee safety. It's a, it's a top priority. And you mentioned that earlier. Was there like a specific event or a moment that influenced how your leadership team thinks about how safety works and um, why you've embraced it so much? Or is it just always the case from the founding? Well, 
Peter, if I could, at Moss, we think of safety as more than just a priority. We think it's a value. Mm. And I think that's a very important distinction for the listeners. Uh, Priorities within an organization or even as an individual change sometimes with external pressures. For instance, if we fall behind on a schedule, we just add more manpower or work overtime. That might conflict with a financial priority, but a value is who you are all the time. Your values never change. And, And that's been with the company since day one, and that's been the mindset that we've had from the very beginning. The Moss family and all of our leadership believe that safety is way more than compliance. Yes, of course, OSHA and EPA and all of the agencies are important that we comply with their regulations, but it's really a moral imperative that we send people home to their loved ones who count on them safely every day. And how does that impact the bottom line? I mean, does it, um, as you just think about it holistically? Well, I think if you were to look at this solely through numbers about, you know, what do we spend on safety, we might spend a little bit more on the front end with our with our uh, uh, PPE spend or our programming spend or our communication spend, but we are a preferred uh, workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I told, told you earlier, we're a great place to work. And not, not only do the Moss employees feel that, but our subcontractors and their employees feel that. So they know when they come to one of our projects that they that they are going to be in a safe environment with people who truly care about them and their well-being. Yeah, you attract better talent and you get more out of people. When people feel safe, they perform better. So I think you're right. Absolutely. A little bit of investment up front pays off huge dividends down the road. It may not be completely transparent, like just numbers on a spreadsheet, but man, you can really see it when you step back and look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, beyond the big natural disasters and things like that, what are some of the day-to-day emergencies that you guys, specifically in your industry, um, have to prepare for, and how do you ensure employees take them just as seriously? <laughs> well, natural disasters, you know, we all we all have to be aware of those wherever we are in the country, whether it's hurricanes in our case, or floods, or earthquakes, or tornadoes, or whatever it might be. Um, but construction sites are a little bit unique, I think, uh, because they're very dynamic and the hazards change daily, sometimes yeah. hourly. So you really have to stay on your toes and really have to keep your head on a swivel. I mean, there are constantly things moving and, and the condition that existed yesterday doesn't exist today and vice versa. Um, but, you know, you're talking about emergencies that aren't aren't uh, natural disasters. I think of one that kind of stands out that occurred at the Fort Lauderdale International Airport a couple of years ago. And we were building a new terminal for Southwest Airlines. We had 200, 250 workers on the site. And we had an active shooter event uh, that occurred one terminal over from us. It sadly became a mass casualty event. Now, thankfully, all of our people were unhurt, uh, but it really strained our communications channels. We We didn't have a great way of communicating with our people to let them know what was going on. And that caused us to seek out solution providers, again, like Alert Media, to help us enhance our abilities to deal with the unusual, if you will. It seems like that's what it's all about. It's you feel helpless if you don't have a way to reach out to people when there's something unusual going on. And it could be a benign, unusual thing or something really bad, like an active shooter situation or anything in between. 
and there's all this confusion out there and you have no way to overcome that confusion if you can't quickly communicate with people. You're absolutely right. I mean, we did, and helpless is exactly the way we felt. We knew what was going on probably better than they did. All yeah. they knew that, that there was a huge police presence and people were running in, in every different direction. So, you know, some officers with long rifles and huh. definitely sidearms drawn. And we had information that we just simply couldn't get to our folks, nor could we account for all of our people initially. Uh, and then, of course, the airport was locked down for a number of hours, and, and it becomes then kind of a, uh, uh, instead of an emergency response, it becomes a, a little bit of a, uh, a longer-term event where how do we get food to these people because they're, they've been locked in the airport now for 8, 10, 12 hours. How do we oh, get wow. water to them? How do we get information back to their loved ones? Yep. So it, it was a very big challenge for us communications-wise. Wow. Well, we did talk earlier about how Moss has such a fantastic safety culture, so I'd like to segue into that topic a little bit. And one thing we hear a lot from our customers and prospective customers is that instituting effective safety policies really requires being vigilant just year round, 24 by seven by 365. So how can companies move beyond just this idea of check boxes and just being compliant to really embedding and improving safety in their overall culture and then carry out that mission in day-to-day operations? I think you guys do it really well. And any tidbits you can offer, I think would be very helpful for our listeners. I think the key for us has been to, to involve our operational partners in charting the course of the organization. Of course, myself as a safety professional, you know, I, I have a, a benchmark that, that might not be in, in total alignment with the organization on, on what I want to see accomplished. Uh, but having buy-in from those, from the ops teams and-, and what, what is an ops team? What's an operational partner? Just to clarify. I, I mean, the, our, our workforce, our, our people that are prosecuting the work. In our case, you know, the building team, uh, you know, again, we have 50 or 60 of those different teams that are very, you know, that are unique uh, in their own right, but they're building building a project for us. Got it. So, so we get we got them involved very early on when we were when we were establishing the culture here. Um, I, I've never worked with anybody uh, that's a frontline worker or frontline supervisor that's thought it's acceptable to hurt anybody in order to complete the task, whether it's building a widget or building a building or whatever it is we might be doing. Uh, but I think maybe one of the keys was for us, we adopted the mindset of changing our way of thinking from safety to safely. Safety felt to us like it kind of stood apart as a separate part of the process. Uh, you know, it's a standalone department in many cases. Uh, and what we wanted to do is integrate it back into the operations, the the day to day. So, how do we safely integrate uh, that process, or 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 accomplish that task, or build that widget? Uh, and I think that was a, a real fundamental moment for us, transformational moment for us, is when we started thinking safely rather than safety. Yeah, I love that because it it lets you say, I don't care how dangerous that is. If we just think about approaching it as safely as possible, we can figure out a way to do it. It may end up being too expensive <laughs> and we may decide not to go down that path, but at least that gives you that mentality. I mean, that's how we got to the moon. That's not a safe thing to do at all, but they figured out how can we do this safely? And then once we feel good with that, we'll send these guys up into the, you know, up to the moon. So I love that, that way of thinking of things. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's not totally about risk avoidance. It's, you know, you want to make sure you're not doing any risk transference when you're designing a process. And then you want to drive out as much risk as you can. I mean, you know, driving to work is probably the riskiest thing that we all do every day. Yep. Uh, but we have to do it. So we do it safely. We wear our seatbelt. We stop at the stoplight, at the stop sign, even when nobody's coming. We, you know, we follow the speed limit or close to the speed limit. Uh, and, and and again, we can never eliminate risk totally, but we can certainly bring it down to an acceptable level, whether it's through engineering controls or PPE or administrative controls, whatever it might be. What are the best ways for organizations to identify, I guess, weaknesses in their safety culture? What 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 are like in your experience over the years? What are the red flags that pop up that you're like, look for these things, and you can go kind of address them one at a time. Oh, I think that's easy. I think you just go to the front line and ask. Mm. The, the, the work, get the workers involved. Uh, they'll provide some of the best feedback and oftentimes some of the best solutions uh, out there. They're the ones doing it. They, they know where the risk is. They know where the challenges are. And in our case, we use a, a BBS or HOPS type program, your behavioral-based safety type program. Uh, that yields many suggestions and solutions, and those all come from those frontline folks. Um, I bet they embrace it too. They're involved an awful lot in the process. If they feel like they they identified it and warned you about it, and then you tell them, okay, this is what we're going to do to you know <laughs> prevent that or, or or protect you, they're much more likely to embrace it than if you just had a consultant come in and say, do this, this, and this. Well, it's not a mandate coming from on high. It's it, it's something that their coworkers, their peers they themselves have recommended and, and we help put in place. Now we don't, you know, we don't implement every solution that they come up with, certainly, uh, but uh, they're involved an awful lot in the process. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, after you do implement some kind of new safety procedure, how do you go about evaluating measuring success? Like, did we go too far? Is this too much? Is it not enough? What, what does success look like? And I know it's, it's different for everything that you might do, but are there general rules that you look for? Well, we, we have an integrated safety management system uh, slash risk management information system. Um, and, and those two departments at Moss work completely seamlessly with each other. Uh, in a lot of organizations I've been in in the past, safety is over here and risk management and insurance, you know, workers' comp insurance, for instance, is sitting, you know, somewhere else. We share the same physical space in the headquarters office. We work together. You, you couldn't tell one of us from the other. But by doing that, it helps us make sure we're looking in the right direction and asking the right questions at the right time. Our safety inspection system, we integrate this into the schedule. So as we're building a building, the hazards change. So, so the things that we have our safety people focusing on and looking at are areas where we know we have risk or areas where we know we have hurt people in the past. Mm. Uh, and just by thinking a little bit more like operations and a little bit less like safety people, so thinking, like a, a, thinking safely like an operational person should, uh, that's how we know we're being successful because we can see those metrics start to drive in the right direction. You guys really have to stay on your toes because you mentioned like risks can change by the day, by the hour sometimes, depending on the nature of where you are in that construction project. So I don't know if that's a blessing in disguise that it kind of forces you to stay attentive, but a lot of our clients out there, literally it's just kind of the same thing day in and day out. 
what do you think about that? Like, what can people do to shake things up a little bit to maybe to stay a little more focused on the fact that you can't get too complacent or comfortable? Yeah, well, you know, that's a great point because as I think back to early on in my career, I started out in petrochemical working uh, in a plastics plant. I I mentioned earlier, I'd worked for Toyota in the manufacturing plants and there's a lot of repetition uh, that can lead to complacency, right? I did it yesterday, I didn't get hurt. I can do it tomorrow without getting hurt. Gee, I really didn't need those gloves yesterday or the day before the day before. So do I really need them today? They're hot and uncomfortable. Um, I, I think being visible, you know, visiting, uh, again, st- staying in front of that line worker, uh, the people that are out on the factory floor is important uh, to make sure that, uh, that they know why they're wearing those gloves or why they're wearing that apron or whatever the safety appliance might be, why it's there, because we oftentimes forget uh, you know, I think as children, we all had to touch the stove, right? Uh, we were all told not to, but I we did. all had to touch it. Yeah, I did too. And I've, I've got a couple scars to show for it. But yeah. we don't learn well from others being hurt. Uh, it, it sometimes, unfortunately, has to be us on the front end. So it's so a good safety professional, in my mind, is constantly staying in front of the workers and encouraging them to do the right thing. Not so much for the company, but for themselves and, and for their family. Mm. Um, you know, um, you think back to the to the space shuttle Challenger explosion. I mean, many of us saw it live on TV, and certainly almost all of us have seen replays of that. Yeah. And, and I would challenge our audience to tell me who the seven astronauts were that were on the flight. And, right. You know, maybe maybe they'll come up with Krista McAuliffe, whose real name was Sharon McAuliffe, but. Maybe they'll come up with a teacher in space, but there were six other individuals that lost their lives in a very spectacular way. Uh, it hurt the nation, yet we don't remember who they were. Yeah. So now, now bring that bring that in home. You're in the you're in the plant working every day, and you take a chance, and you run the risk of getting hurt or killed, and it's not going to resonate with the company, unfortunately. Right. It's but it's going to resonate at home. Your wife, your children, your your parents, your friends, it will be a hole that lasts, that lasts forever that never gets filled. Yeah. I like, I like what you said there. Two things really stood out, which is number one, make it personal. If, if you get hurt, think of what happens to you, but also your family. And if your coworker gets hurt, think of not just what happens to her or him, but also what happens to their family. And that makes people stop and go, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> let me, let me think twice about doing the right thing here. And then the other thing you mentioned is always communicate to your employees the why behind things. Don't just mandate, hey, this is why we're doing it. If you got a problem with that, let's have a discussion. We're still going to do it, but at least you have that talk. And I think you're right. People will absolutely accept it if they understand the why behind it instead of just being told to do something. I I agree. And, and, you know, you said we're still going to do it. Sometimes we have changed what we do because of, again, because of those employees, those frontline employee suggestions. So sometimes they have a better mousetrap. Yeah, yeah, and, fair enough. And certainly, you want to be open up. You you want to be open minded enough to accept that input and implement it when it's appropriate. Yeah, the dialogue can be helpful. Well, um, one thing you mentioned at the very beginning of our discussion is the the makeup of your workforce. You've got like a few hundred people that are salaried, a few thousand that are hourly, and then exponentially more people who are contractors that work with you. So how do you handle all that when you employ all these contractors? How do you ensure that they feel just as taken care of and part of the core team 
as let's say the salaried or hourly employees? Our subcontractor employees are part of our extended Moss family. And mm. quite frankly, we cannot be successful without them. Uh, and we wouldn't consider a project successful if we did on the backs of any of them. You know, I mentioned earlier, one of our core values is honor relationships. And that value simply stated says to care about the safety, well-being, and success of our families and business partners. So we just use the same approach with them as if they were our own employees. We show them that we really care about them and care about them getting home to their loved ones. Uh, like I mentioned before, if one of them gets hurt, it's pretty, unfortunately, it's pretty easy to replace them on the job site. It's not, it's not that easy to replace them at home. So we really want to make sure that we don't have to ever uh, sacrifice somebody's health or safety or livelihood to build one of our projects. We just treat them like their own folks. And then they're more willing to want to come work with you and prioritize your project over another one they could be working on. So it, it pays dividends downstream. Absolutely. I've got a, a relative who's a, a contractor. He builds homes and he says, there's two things I do. I make sure my people are safe and I make sure that I pay them <laughs> on time, every time, even if I'm not getting paid by my, uh, the people paying me. And he says, you know what? They all drop every other job when I call because they know that they can ensure they're safe and that they're going to be paid. All right. Well, this has been great, but I want to close just by asking one more question. We like to give our audience something they can take with them and immediately go make an impact on their organization. So what's something that you think the audience can take action on literally today as they listen to this to help them improve their company's safety culture? And look, you already gave us a bunch of great stuff. So if you can't think of anything else, that's cool. But if you think of like one thing that you would love to impart to folks, let me know. Well, maybe not what you were expecting me to share, but Peter, I, I thought about this uh, previously before we got on the call here. And I want to share something I first saw in a motivational video and the video it's, it's about a five minute video. It's called, you can't send a duck to Eagle school. You can't send and a duck to Eagle school. Correct. Okay. Got it. It's a great little video. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, a lot of the video resonates with me personally as a safety professional. I share it with my team about once a year, just as a reminder but there's a quote at the end, and it goes something like this. It says, go to the people, live among them, learn from them, start with what they know, then build on what they have. And when the task is accomplished, the people will say, we've done it ourselves. Ah. I think that that is so relevant to what we do as safety professionals every day is if I can instill a sense of ownership with our team members of being responsible for their own and their and their teammates' safety, uh, that it will provide sustainable results well beyond anything that me or my team could ever do for them. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic. Ownership is everything. That's great. Well, look, thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. I, I've enjoyed the conversation. But if anyone listening wants to talk to you more, has follow-up questions, just wants to connect, what's the best way for them to find you out there? Probably the toughest question of the day. I'm not a social media guy, so you're not going to find me on LinkedIn or Facebook or, or, or Twitter or anywhere. But feel free to reach out to me through Moss. Uh, our number is on the website, uh, which is probably the easiest thing to give to you right now, and that's MossCM, like construction managers, MossCM.com. Uh, call the switchboard, talk to our director of first impressions, and tell them that you want to talk with me, and they'll put you right through Okay, fantastic. 
Well, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And to the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.